Knowing I Am. That's the title for the sermon series during Advent, beginning today and continuing through the first Sunday in January. Do you know who you are? Not possible unless you know I am. Join us as we learn who he is. Take your copy of the Word of God this morning and turn with me to John chapter 6, the first of the I Am sayings of Jesus that are recorded for us in the gospel according to St. John. If you're able to stand uh, wherever the, wherever you are, if you're at home with us today, joining us by live stream or over in the fellowship hall in our overflow room, let's stand together to, if, we're, if you're able to honor God in the reading of his holy, inerrant, infallible, and fully sufficient word. We begin at verse 22 in John chapter 6. On the next day, the crowd that remained on the other side of the sea saw that there had been only one boat there, and Jesus had not entered the boat with his disciples, but his disciples had gone away alone. Other boats from Tiberias came near the place where they had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. So when the crowd saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they themselves got into the boats and went to Capernaum, seeking Jesus. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him... God the Father has set his seal. Then they said to him, what, what must we do to be doing the works of God? Jesus answered them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. So they said to him, Then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you, what work do you perform? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, as it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus then said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, sir, give us this bread always. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me, and yet you do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up 
on the last day. So the Jews grumbled about him because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. They said, is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How does he now say, I have come down from heaven? Jesus answered them, do not grumble among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. And I will raise him up on the last day. It is written in the prophets, and they shall all be taught by God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Not that anyone has seen the Father except he who is from God. He has seen the Father. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the man in the wilderness and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Oh God, we cannot see unless you open our eyes. We are blinded from birth and by nature until you open our eyes, until you open our eyes to see. God, do the miracle today of opening blind eyes, hardened hearts, closed ears, that we might hear the truth when Jesus says, I am the bread of life. We ask it in his name. Amen. You may be seated. The Gospel of John opens with what is commonly called a prologue. It's the first 18 verses of the Gospel, and it sets before us Jesus as the eternal Word of God, who is both life and light come into the world to bring people out of death into life, out of darkness into light. He is the Word that has become flesh and made His dwelling among us. So if you want to see the presence and power of God, you only look at one place. You can only look at one place or one person, and that person is Jesus. The Gospel of John ends with an epilogue, kind of a postscript. It is a powerful postscript when Jesus encounters Peter on the Sea of Galilee, on the shores of the Sea of Galilee. Peter had failed Jesus miserably. Peter said, hey, they may all deny you, but not me, but he did. And the next time he was able to talk with Jesus, Jesus was courageous and compassionate in his confrontation with Peter. 
And he granted Peter the forgiveness that he did not deserve, just like he grants us through his grace the forgiveness that we do not deserve. And he sent Peter on Peter's mission, go feed my sheep. And in between that prologue and that epilogue, what John does is very simple and very straightforward. He unfolds for us in line after line after line the identity of Jesus. He simply wants us to see who Jesus is. And so he does that through a series of seven signs, every sign pointing us to Jesus. And he does it through seven I am sayings where Jesus identifies himself as God and then he gives us descriptives of who he is and what he does as God. And the first of these I am sayings is, I am the bread of life. Do you know this morning that God wants you to know him? God's not hiding from you. God doesn't play that game, hide and seek. God wants you to know him, so God makes himself known to us. Because God knows that there's nothing more important in your life than knowing him. Eternity hinges on whether or not you know God. So God makes it very plain and very simple, speaks in a very straightforward way, and that is what he is doing in these I am sayings. The first I am saying in the Bible is in the book of Exodus. We read it this morning. Moses was in Midian. He had been in Egypt. He was raised there. He was raised in a palace. Moses had a prosperous life growing up. He had privilege as the child, the adopted child of the Pharaoh. He he grew up thinking that He was very special and very important. He grew up thinking that he could do whatever he wanted to do and there were no consequences really really because he is the son of the Pharaoh. So one day when he was a young adult, he went outside the palace and he saw some of his bloodline, Jewish people, being mistreated by Egyptians. So Moses just killed the Egyptians. No big deal. I'm Moses. He was operating out of his own strength, doing what he felt like he needed to do to right a wrong. And God, in his sovereignty, used all of that circumstance to create the conditions so that Moses had to flee. He found himself in Midian, in a pagan land, living in the house of a pagan priest named Jethro. Married his daughter, had children by his daughter. Moses was sent by his father-in-law into the backside of Midian away from everybody and everything to take care of the sheep. Now, that's what you do with your son-in-law when you don't like him. Moses was not where he ever planned to be. It was not where he wanted to be. But our God makes no mistakes. 
And our God's plan for Moses was for him to be right where he was. And to be at that time right where he was. Some of us, in fact, I would venture to say most of us are during this season in our country, not where we want to be, not where we had planned to be. Even Thanksgiving for many of our families was peculiar and different. Now, this Christmas season may be the same. Our lives have seemingly been turned upside down, not just by COVID, uh, but some of our families are going through all kinds of crises right now during this season. And it's not where you want to be. It's not where you desire to be. It's not where you'd plan to be. But God knows right where you are. And our God has not abandoned you or forsaken you. Our God's promise to his people is that he is with you. So he came to Moses on the backside of the wilderness. Moses saw this bush that was burning, but it wasn't consumed. Moses was called over by a voice. He obeyed the voice, and the voice said, Take off your sandals, you're on holy ground. And the voice continued to speak to Moses, calling him to go down into Egypt and to be the instrument that God would use to lead the people out of Israel. By this time, Moses had been humbled. A.W. Tozer says that God will never use a man or woman in his work until he breaks you. God doesn't use people who think they're whole. God only has one kind of person he can use, and that's a broken person. And God will deliberately break you if he wants to use you. He broke Moses, and by this time Moses could listen, and Moses was not unsure of God. He was unsure of himself, and when he heard the call of God, Moses said, When I go down to them, who should I tell them has sent me? And God says, You tell them, I am who I am. I am who I will be. I am always the same. It could be translated from the Hebrew language into any of those phrases. So, Al, would you please tell me what it means? Well, if Moses didn't know, I don't think I'm going to venture it. You pick up a commentary written by someone who says, now I'm going to tell you what this phrase means, close it. We don't know. Uh, This is the mysteriously wonderful, a wonderfully mysterious voice of God speaking to Moses and saying to him, I am who I am. This is what we know. We know that like all of Scripture, this phrase finds its fullness, its focus, and its fulfillment in Jesus. So you want to know what it means? Listen to Jesus. And Jesus speaks seven sentences in the Gospel of John. We're going to look at them one by one, beginning with the first one, when he brings to a focus all that God was saying when God said, I am who I am. I am the bread of life. Turn over to Isaiah chapter 55. God had brought judgment to his people. He had sent them into exile, many of them died in exile under the judgment of God. God was getting ready to bring back a remnant to Judah 
and Jerusalem. Before they went into exile, they were prosperous people. They had plenty. They could pursue every kind of pleasure they wanted to pursue. They were exceedingly religious, but they had no real right relationship with God. They had forgotten who God really is. So as they're getting ready to come back, God speaks through Isaiah, Isaiah 55, verse 2. Listen to what he says. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread? And why do you work for that which is not satisfying? Listen diligently to me and eat what is good. And delight yourselves in rich food. My friend, this is rich food. This is the food from God through Jesus. I am the bread of life. Let's look at the uh, context. And then we're going to hear what Jesus says and see why he says what he says. The context is Jesus has fed the 5,000. He only had five loaves and two fish, but that's no problem for Jesus because Jesus created the seed. In fact, Jesus created the soil in which the seed was placed, from which the flour was formed, from which the bread was made. And there on the spot with five loaves, Jesus just keeps creating out of nothing more bread. And he takes these two little fish about this long and he provides more fish. He made the sea and formed the fish that were in the sea. So he produces fillets and feeds thousands of people. And then sometime during the night when the disciples were out on the sea, he walks on the water, both of these accounts that open chapter 6 of John are intended to communicate to us one truth. Jesus is God. And to listen to Jesus is to listen to God. The people whom he fed after they had eaten, kind of like eating Thanksgiving meal where after you've eaten that meal, you go lie on the sofa and you watch two NFL teams, both with a record of three and seven. And you just fall asleep. Now, they had slept during the night. They were satiated with all of this food. The next morning they got up, they looked out into the harbor and the boats were gone. They couldn't find the disciples or Jesus. So they decided to get in their own boats and... They made their way to Capernaum, and they were seeking Jesus. They were looking for Jesus. Look at verse 25 of chapter 6. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Now, this is what I want you to see. Jesus does not answer their question. When did you come here? R.C. Sproul says that he wishes they had asked, how did you get here? And Jesus could have just bowed up and said, I walked on the water. But when did you get here? He doesn't answer that question. He answers 
Listen. He answers the question they should have asked had they known who Jesus was. You know, sometimes God wants to teach us in our prayer life when all we're focused on is we want him to answer our prayers. You ever prayed prayers and waited for days or weeks or months and heard nothing? Maybe it is that maybe God doesn't do this in your life, but he does it in my life all the time. What God is teaching me, I've concluded, is how to ask by not answering what I ask, but answering in a different way to teach me that in my praying, I need to learn what to ask when I truly know who Jesus is. Sometimes we don't get answers because we ask the wrong questions according to our fleshly wants and wishes and desires rather than according to the will of God. And Jesus is forming and fashioning us so that we would ask what we would have asked had we known what we should have asked if we had known more about who God is in Jesus Christ. He uses their question to teach them about who he is. They're seeking Jesus. They're seeking Jesus on their own terms, not on his. You know what Jesus shows us here? He shows us five characteristics. I'm just going to tick you, going to walk through them very quickly. He shows us five characteristics of people that are seeking Jesus when they don't know who Jesus is. Now, first of all, we see Jesus as less than he is. Verse 25, when they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi. Now, that's a term of respect, but there's no reverence in that. They are affirming him as a teacher, but they're not adoring him as Lord. They don't know who he is. If you go over to verse 34, they said to him, Sir, Sir. This is God. Sir, give us this bread always. They, they see Jesus in the way they want to see Jesus, not in the way he is. Secondly, their focus is on what they want from Jesus, what they need from Jesus, not on Jesus alone. Verse 26, Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, you're seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. You were after something material and something natural, something that would satisfy your appetite. Don't work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. You're focused on yourselves and what Jesus can do for you rather than on Jesus and Jesus alone. Number three, they want to do something. Uh, they believe they've got to do something, some work, some work they do, some word they say, uh, some something that they must be involved in and Jesus speaks to them the truth of God. Look at verse 28. Then they said to him, what must we do? What must we do to be doing the works of God? Jesus answered them. Picking up on the previous phrase, what must we do? 
He says this, this. You want to know what to do? There's nothing you can do because what you're looking for is the work of God. This is God's work. Nicodemus came to Jesus, you remember, wanting to know what he must do. And Jesus said to Nicodemus, you must be born again. This is God's work. God must bring you out of death into life, out of darkness into light. He must open your eyes and your ears and your heart and mind. He does that work, and it's a work of his grace. And when he does that, when he awakens you, brings you out of death into life, you will believe in him because you will see him for who he is. They not only have their own view of Jesus, they not only have their own view of themselves, they have their own view of the Bible, and nobody's going to mess with their view of the Bible. So they said to him, verse 30, they don't get it, they don't see it, they don't hear it, they don't understand it. What sign do you do that we may see and believe you? We will not believe until we see a sign. He just fed 5,000, he just walked on the water. What more do they need? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. They're quoting the meaning of Scripture to Jesus, who is the author of Scripture. Jesus then said to them, truly, 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 I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven, and he gives life to the world. They're they're finally willing to say whatever they need to say in order to get from Jesus that for which they're looking. This is what happens when people are seeking Jesus on their own terms. We think about Jesus not as the Bible reveals him, but we think about Jesus as we've been taught to see him. We want him to save us from our sins so that we can avoid hell and go to heaven. But talk about lordship is, if it's not repulsive to us, we resist it. We want him in the way that we see him. But Jesus has only one way of coming to us. So to these who are seeking him, he speaks the word of God because he's come to do the will of God. He speaks the word of God because he's come to do the will of God. Listen to what he says. I am, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Now, that's a fact. Jesus is calling you. He's calling me. Come to me. Come to Jesus. Come today. Come now. Open your life, your heart, your mind, your soul, everything about you to me. Let me invade your life as the Lord of your life. I will give you everything that you need. Have you come to him? Jesus 
recognizes that these very religious people are blind and deaf. Verse 36, I said to you that you have seen me and yet you do not believe. All that the Father gives me. He wants us to understand that those who come to Jesus are those who have been given to Jesus by God. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. This is the word of God. He spells this out in verses 41 and following as the Jews grumbled about him because they knew who Jesus was. They have their own understanding of Jesus. Jesus answers them, look at verse 43, Do not grumble among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. No one can come unless the Father draws him. The word draws means compel to come. I will raise him up on the last day. It is written in the prophets. They will all be taught by God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Not that anyone has seen the Father except he who is from God. He has seen the Father. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your father ate manna in the wilderness and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven that one may eat of it and not die. Sometimes I think when we think about Jesus, we think about Jesus giving us what we need and want. It's kind of like the manna in the wilderness and it's not going to satisfy. Warren Wiersbe, who is one of the greatest expositors ever to live, preached for years in the city of Chicago, compares the manna in the wilderness with what Jesus provides. Listen to what he says. The manna in the wilderness met a physical need temporarily. Jesus meets a spiritual need for all eternity. The manna fed the physical life. Jesus feeds our soul and gives us eternal life. The manna was for one particular people at one place in time. Jesus is for all people, for all of time. The manna was a free gift. Jesus comes to us as the one who sacrificed himself to God, became our substitute so that we could be saved. The manna only delayed physical death. The gift of Jesus overcomes all death and gives us life forever. This is the word of God that God speaks. And he speaks it through Jesus, who says, I am the bread of life, and calls us to come to him on his terms. But not only does he speak the word of God, he does the will of God. Look at verses 38 and 39, where where Jesus, these are the words of Jesus. He brings together God's sovereignty in saving sinners with our responsibility before God. And he brings together what God does in our lives now with what he will do forever. Listen to this. I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up at the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life. I will raise him up on the last day. God's sovereignty and salvation. All that God has given to Jesus will come to Jesus. And all who come to Jesus, our responsibility, will never be cast out. Oh, Al, can you tell me how I can know for sure that God has given me to Jesus? Yes, I can tell you. 
Have you come to Jesus? Have you repented of your sin? Have you turned from the world and its ways to live under the authority of the word of God? Have you given yourself to surrender and submission to Jesus as Lord? That's how you know. And when God saves you, he saves you for all time. And he saves you for all eternity. If you do the Gospel Project Sunday School material, you were this morning in Matthew and Acts. And you were there in Acts where Jesus in his resurrected body ascended to heaven. He's at the right hand of God now in that resurrected body. Every believer in this room one day will receive a resurrected body. On the very last day, Jesus will come back and every believer will be raised from the grave. Every believer. Those that are at sea will be raised from the sea. Those lost on the battlefield whose bodies will never be found, who are believers, God will find them. Every believer will be raised. We'll be given a new body. We will receive from Jesus the rewards for those things that we have done on this earth in the body, which I believe means in the physical body and in the body of the church. And then all unbelievers will be raised and stand before Jesus. They will be judged on the basis of their goodness and their good works. And they will plead their case. Because if you know unbelievers, and I pray you do, and I pray that you're praying for them and witnessing to them, what they stand on is their basic goodness and their good works as compared to those that they know to be Christians. And they will be cast forever into hell. But the Bible is clear. There's one thing an unbeliever will never do. They will never repent. And on their way to hell, they will point their fingers at the holy God and blame him for being unfair and unjust. Child of God, one day, all that you're going through now is going to be over. One day, you're going to be resurrected. And you're going to live with God as a part of the new heaven and the new earth forever. And if you're an unbeliever, the bread of life, the bread of life stands before you today and says, come, please come. I'm begging you, come. Six hundred years before Jesus was born, God spoke to the prophet Micah. And said, Bethlehem, O Bethlehem, Ephrathah, you who are the least of the tribes of Israel, out of you, Bethlehem, shall come one who will rule over Israel. 
O little town of Bethlehem, how still we see thee lie. But in thy dark streets shines an everlasting light. Bethlehem means the house of bread. It is no accident that the bread of life was born in the house of bread. Have you eaten this bread? Now, there are those who like to taste it. Just want to taste it. I want enough to get me to heaven. There are others who like to chew it. Gross image, I know, but they like to, they like to chew with their mouth open. They want you to see they got the bread in their mouth. But Jesus says, the ones I know and the ones that know me, they've eaten this bread. And this bread is their life. Have you eaten yet? For some of us, today may be the time that it's really time for us to eat and then to go and to tell someone else about the bread of heaven that satisfies the soul. We're going to end by standing together and singing, and we're going to do this every Sunday. We're going to sing, go tell it on the mountain, over the hills, and everywhere. Number 95, if you need the hymnal, the words are on the screen. Let's stand and sing together.
Well, let me remind you of a couple of things as we go. First of all, there are no services here tonight. Our Awana Club is not meeting tonight, so we're not going to meet here. We can blame it on Glenn and the Awana Club. So they need time off. If you've ever worked in Awana, it's adult intensive. And these people, we praise God for them. Y'all need a break and a breather. So you got a break and a breather tonight. And so the rest of us get that as well. I want you to pay attention to the Lottie Moon insert. You have a devotional guide there for this week. And it has information for you to read about some of the things that our missionaries are doing around the world. also has an offering envelope. We hope you will be generous in your gifts to the Lottie Moon Christmas offering. As you exit today, we have uh, uh, our children's ministers prepared uh, material for our parents and children, families. And it has a devotional booklet in it, but we still have a few copies of Dan Upchurch's devotional booklet in the foyer. A minimum donation of $5, or you can give more because it's all going to Lottie Moon. And to celebrate uh, our beginning of our week of emphasis for international missions, our Lottie Moon Christmas offering, uh, you're going to get on the way out a little bag of tea cakes, Lottie Moon tea cakes. That's how she was used of God in China. She couldn't break through what was going on there, so she started baking tea cakes. And um, so we have uh, cleared this with the... Uh, uh, CDC and the Department of Community Health and and uh, Barbara Ann Hammett. So we're good to go. So only one of those counts. Uh, so we can you can eat these tea cakes. I can tell you if they use the Lottie Moon recipe, they ain't good. But if they threw a little sugar in them, uh, that Lottie Moon would have known had she known that uh, would have done if she had known that. You'll you'll like them. So, but just use them as a reminder to pray for our missionaries all over the world. God, we thank you for this day. Thank you for the beginning of the Advent season. We do recognize as we light the candle of hope today that our hope is in you. You are the living bread, the bread of life, and we thank you, Jesus, for being for us that bread that nourishes us every day of our lives. Now go in the grace and peace and joy of the Lord Jesus, and tell it wherever you are this week, the good news that Jesus is and what Jesus does. In his name, amen.